Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I've spent the past 30 years in leadership and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am very excited because today I'm speaking with Marta Ronquillo Newhart, and she and I are both here in Boulder. We're practically on other sides of the same neighborhood, and the reason that Marta and I became connected is because I did a segment on KGNU Public Radio here in Boulder, and someone reached out saying, I have the most inspiring woman that you should be speaking to, Lori, and that is Marta, and she is considered one of the foremost communications thought leaders in corporate America today, having been a Fortune 100 senior executive, a corporate communications officer of both public companies, as well as Fortune 100, as well as startups. And Marta, thank you for being on Inspiring Women. Thank you for having me, Lori. I'm happy to be here. Well, I am um, wanting to really dive in. So Marta, we have a couple of things I really want to sort of spend some time talking to you about. One is the, how did you get here? And not just being a senior executive and accomplished brand person, but also being a first Latina executive at that senior level. I also want to talk about what's going on marketing right now. We have so much change happening with AI. Mm-hmm. You, you are an expert. So give us some information there. And then we'll talk about boards. But Marta, let's start right now. Day to day, what is what does um, life look like for you? Day to day is going in and out of a couple of board meetings um, preparing for other board meetings and working with the APCO International Advisory Council. So I work with a lot of different companies on things that are really important to them from either a marketing communications or brand perspective. And right now, a lot of companies are going through risk. They're trying to manage risk at proportional levels we've not seen in the history of a corporation. They, um, they're multidimensional, I would say. I mean, you could say at the turn of the century, there were major risks that companies had to navigate, but they were sort of like one or two at a time. I could click off for you six or seven right now. The corporations are watching and trying to track and trying to navigate in ways that, that, that sometimes they don't even have people that understand these things. You mentioned AI, that's one of them. There's ESG, there's climate change, there's a lot of those things. And also the workforce. What does the workforce want now, post-pandemic? So all of these issues are really in the forefront and you have leadership teams at corporations and boards that are trying to navigate them and trying to look forward and see you know, what's the big next black swan event? Those events that we don't necessarily know are coming, but we have to anticipate for. 
Marta, most, most companies, I mean, just to dive right into what companies think about, I think financial risk, financial profile, growth, or, you know, uh, different, different business opportunities, mergers, acquisitions, things like that. Those types of risks, I think, are well understood and boards are very prepared for through their compilation of executives um, in C-suites or uh, financial background. What are, what like, how does climate or workforce so some of the other risks that you mentioned manifest in the boardroom and what do come what do you think companies are most or not prepared for so all the risks you mentioned there's somebody sitting in the c-suite one of a handful of people that run the entire company and somebody sitting on a board that knows and has expertise and has led those types of issues now we've got all these other issues let's take climate change for example you don't necessarily have somebody in the C-suite that's an expert on that. You have somebody that may be part of their job as part of ESG and other things they have to manage. And the same with the board. So this is the dynamic that's really changing. Let's even talk about the geopolitical issues. Um, some of the things that are happening today with China. China's the largest market outside the US for a lot of companies. And China is changing dramatically. So a lot of these boards and C-suites don't necessarily have those people sitting at the table. They sort of pull them in and pull them out. That changes the dynamic. And as you pull them in, you pull them in when you need them. What I'm talking about are the future events that you have to anticipate for. So you mentioned financial, operational, all these things. We're really good at that. We, we have expertise at that. We have people at the table who have expertise at that. But all this other risk that we have to manage, we sort of bring in people as we need them. That's reactive. What I'm talking about is getting more proactive and thinking about it in a way that, okay, we can anticipate this is gonna happen. So the US relationship with China is going in this direction. There are some regulations that have been put on that we have to follow. That's gonna put us in this direction. Now, how does that, and if we have manufacturing in China, how does that affect our, 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 our relationship in different European countries? How does it affect our relationship in Mexico? Because it's all intertwined. Connecting all those dots, if you have somebody seated at the table that can do that for you, just as you have a CFO who's got expertise in financial acumen and business acumen, can connect EBIT and all these other things for you, growth, margin expansion, the things that really matter to a company, you have somebody who can manage all these risks, just like you have a CFO that can, you're going to be better prepared to be successful and more competitive moving forward than your competitors. Marta, in the boardroom, so you as a board member and certainly with your expertise as a um, senior leader executive of large companies as well as smaller ones, how do you see the board's role in that? Because that sort of um, sort of experience, that is not the day-to-day -day work of running a company, sort of bringing it at that level. How do you bring forward in the boardroom the type of risk management or more well-rounded, higher level strategic thinking? 
You know, there's this saying in the board world, nose in, hands out, or nose in, arms out. It's really about governance. It's really about providing good governance and letting the leadership team do what they do well and being a source of advising for them and being a source of whatever it is they need to navigate through this really changing environment. So you wanna be really careful. You've got expertise in a certain area. You've got enterprise leadership. You know these things. Your C-suite members may want or need help on that. You wanna be real careful because you need to provide guidance to the CEO, but you don't wanna tell her how to do her job. She was chosen because she knows how to do her job. And so that's part of good governance. There's a fiduciary responsibility and a lot of other responsibilities, but you've got to think about that fine line of good governance versus being too hands on, because you've got to let the people who are there do what they do best and then just help support that, help amplify that, do things that enable that to happen. Marta, how did you make that transition? So you grew up in your storied career as an operator, senior leader, the person who was responsible for helping these companies, you, the companies you worked at and grew, work through whether it's crisis or developing a stronger brand or building their growth engine uh, machines. How did you make that transition from being the person responsible to being the person guiding? I had to think very carefully about what I said. And if the conversation at the board in the board table is going in a certain direction and I don't necessarily agree with it, I've got to have facts that would base that build that up and support that or just agree to support the decision. So this is not to agree to disagree. This is what you say has to add value. Board members aren't there to be just be heard. Board members are there to add value. So you have to think about that all the time. How can I add value to this? It's not about me coming up with a marketing plan. You know, they probably have a really good one. Do they want someone to look at it? Do they want someone to give them feedback on it? Do they want somebody to knock on some doors and make some phone calls for them? If that's the case, yes, I can help support that. But I had to think very consciously about how I was showing up because you're right. It's a different role. It's a different job that you're coming to every day. I want to talk more about sort of the boardroom. I want to talk about diversity in the boardroom. Before we go to that, I want to spend a little bit more time, Marta, in your field of expertise. First of all, you know, as a Brand communications thought leader, well recognized by that for the work that you've done. How did that happen? What were the, sort of the pivotal points for you to become that executive leader um, that you were prior to all the work that you're doing on boards today? You know, it's interesting because the community and the household that I grew up in, it was extended um, members of the family in the same household. And growing up in that household, we told stories and we didn't know that that was a thing. We just did it. And my mother and my father and my grandparents, they're amazing storytellers. I mean, they tell stories, you know, 
every birthday or wedding or whatever it is, my father gets up and tells a story. It's unscripted and they're crying in the aisles. I mean, everybody is glued to his every word. And so I grew up in that environment. There wasn't a lot, you know, there wasn't a lot of money or, or any of those kinds of things, but we did have our stories. And I remember going to a conference in late 1990s and it was at Microsoft and they had what they called the chief storyteller. I thought, now that's interesting. That's actually a job. That's a job for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I thought, wow. And I listened to this person talk and I thought, you need to meet my family. You need to meet. And this person was really good. And I realized, you know, all this experience I had had really meant something. And it was something that could impact business. It could impact people's lives. It could influence the way people made decisions, the way customers went through their journey with a customer and all of those things. And so I just started using that. I started using that ability. And it, it's interesting because about a year ago at Westinghouse, we had a, a Christmas party. And at the Christmas party, the members of the leadership team had to get, they each had a list of what they thought each person was good at. And you didn't know who this person was. So they read off the list and then you had to guess who it was. Well, when it came to me, they said really good storyteller. And of course, everybody guessed it was me. They didn't even get to the other attributes. And so, you know, as trite as that sounds, I don't mind having that moniker because it's something I'm very comfortable with. I'm very comfortable with telling stories about life, companies, and people that really impact people, because I do think it makes a difference. And by the way, we all have them. We all have them and we can all share them. Marta, the, for, in terms of storytelling, I mean, it is, it's one thing for that to be a family background. And I think that, um, it is becoming even more important and valuable to tell stories, particularly in this world of AI and technology and content generation that is a just at a incredible, almost infinite level of um, you know creation. So you didn't just become good at it because of your family. You excelled at it in the business world. How is how is the world of brand creation just changing and how is technology impacting that? I'm thinking about the current strikes going on with the Actors Guild and other things where there's concerns about AI taking over the human um, jobs, which are in some ways the creation of stories. Well, how do you think about that? What should people be prepared for? Should we be excited? Should we be fearful? What are your thoughts? I think every few years, there's a technology that comes along that makes people nervous because they don't understand it. It also makes us better. AI is a perfect example of that. Is it going to take your job? Probably not. Is it going to enhance your job? Oh, yeah, it will. And then, by the way, it has for the last 10 years, maybe even more. And so when you think about these technologies and how they can enhance what you do, that's where you've got this really great intersection of your knowledge and the power of the technology coming together. And you've got to get there and be unafraid and be willing to use it to the benefit of business. In my world, which is the business world, 
everything I do is to benefit that world when I use these technologies. And by the way, business has been benefiting from them for a very long time. So it's really about thinking about, what was it, 20 years ago, social media. There was a little bit of a fear factor there. Now everybody's a journalist. That became a very good thing. Now there's a downside to each one of these. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to go into what those are, they're obvious, but there is an upside. And what it does is it makes the human mind more of a critical thinker. It makes us better. We are better in many, many ways, but it's we're also learning. And I think that we're in a hyper growth and hyper change. Um, you know, because of AI and other things. So let's go back a little bit to the storytelling and the, you know, what are some of the grounding things or founding things that became, you know, who you are and how excellent you are as a communicator. We t- You talked a little bit about how important your family was to you. I know your name is particularly important to you. Mm-hmm. And I also know that being the first Latina uh, executive at a fortune 100 company is no small thing. I've heard previous interviews that you've done. You talk about showing up as your authentic self. So what I'm curious about is how did, how did that happen? I think today we celebrate diversity in a way that perhaps we didn't 20 years ago, 15 so years true. ago, when you yeah. were becoming the executive that you are. So how, how did that manifest for you? How did you show up at work being the only Latina at the executive table, how your name speaks for itself. Talk a little bit about that and what that looked like for you. When I was 13, on my birthday, my mother sat me down and she said, okay, Martita, you're different. You, you just, you know that, and you're going to see it even more so as you get older. Here's the thing about it. You've got to work hard, twice as hard, and then they will consider you half as good. So now you know this, go forward and do that. My 13-year-old self said, wait a minute, like, where's the fairness factor here? But now my adult mind says, okay, I knew that was coming. I knew it was coming, so I anticipated it. That was the difference. And no matter what I did, I knew going in, just work as hard as you can, do a little bit more, just keep going, keep adding, keep writing down those goals and keep reaching them. You know, they talk about corporate athletes and what that means. And I guess that's a description of it. But for me, it was just being the best version that I could be of myself in the business world. The other thing too was I love business. I love all forms of it. And businesses succeed when they communicate well, they reach their customers, their other stakeholders, and they engage them in a way that's reciprocal. It's not one way, but it's reciprocal. So all the things, Lori, that you and I have been talking about contribute to that. So if you start connecting the dots, you can see that business acumen combined with really good storytelling, good communications, the courage to put it out there and know that it's going to take a lot of hard work. Nothing's going to come easy. And I would say this for any underrepresented minority, it's not going to come easy, but it's going to make you a better employee. It's going to make you a better executive. 
It's going to prepare you for whatever is coming in the future. So all those things combined really worked well for me. Well, also knowing, so the, the sort of presupposition that working, you would need to work harder for half the recognition and that just being a mindset seems like it was helpful to you. There's literally zero way that along the way in your career, you didn't, um, you, you didn't have to hit some obstacle that you needed to overcome that perhaps you were unprepared for. Could you perhaps share sort of a, an example of one of those things that helped you propel yourself um, where otherwise other folks might not have been able to hit it in the same way? Yeah, really early in my career, I was at Boeing on the business and commercial side of the house. And um, I was up for a promotion. There was probably five of us who wanted the same promotion. And we were all vying for that. And one of my colleagues got the promotion who uh, didn't have the same credentials. And some of, us, some of us sort of felt that he didn't have the credentials um, that not only we had, but was required of the job. And then the vice president of the organization came to me and said, now, Marta, I want you to help, and I'm going to use a different name. I want you to help Joe succeed here. And I want you to play ball and I want you to help him. And I said, well, what would have happened if I had gotten the promotion? Would you have gone to Joe and said, now, Joe, you got to help Marta succeed here. Come on, play ball. You got to make this happen. Well, the answer was probably no, but I'll tell you that hit me hard. That was, you know, in my mid twenties, that was a challenge that hit me really hard. Gets back to this fairness factor, right? But if you cut a clear path through that and you start to see if, if you are willing to help your colleagues, that entire organization rises. So there's two ways to look at this. No, that's not fair. Yes, you have more credentials. Or if I help these guys, we're all going to rise. And the reality is no one stays in the same career or the same job over the course of their career. So, we, you know, I would go off and do different things. They would too. So I had to change the way I thought about it. And that's, that's the difference because you're going to face adversity. I'm sure you have. And when you do, you can either roll into a ball and curl up and say, okay, that's not fair. That's, you know, we're not gonna, this isn't, we're not gonna go forward here. Or you gotta find a silver line and figure out how you can cut a clear path through it and make things better as a result of it. You know, it's the same thing we were talking about a minute ago. We were talking about AI. People are afraid it might take their jobs away. You can't look at it that way. It's all about how you work, your, your mindset and how you work, how you approach things. You've got to change those are, it. Those are, yeah, those as, that's an aspirational way to think about it. There's it a is. bit of swallow hard in the yeah. moment of dealing with um Joe or whomever the um situation was, you know, yeah, at that some time. of these things can make you drink. I mean, <laughs> some of these things, you know, you just want a martini, right? That's not the answer. And so the more progressive, the more proactive 
and move forward. That's what gets recognized. You know, when people saw that and people said, hey, wait a minute, she's got goals. She's working towards those goals. Now, what was hard is that early organization actually didn't have any women in it who weren't administrative people and mm-hmm. administrative employees. They weren't always supporters, you know, of other women. You know, I would hear things like, oh, she's driven. Oh, she wants to get ahead. Oh, she wants to to go do that. She wants to ascend to a higher level. Yeah. 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 It is. It is always surprising that, you know, it is also true that not all women are supportive of um, other women who are who are making it, which is um, quite unfortunate, but it exists. I think that's changed, though, don't you think? I think it's I think there's there's all types of things that continue to surprise me in the corporate workplace (laughs) that still exist. Um, but it, but things are changing. I do believe um, things are changing in an overall um, arching positive direction. Marta, if we go back to some of the things um, that you've talked about, about being your authentic self. So there's no sort of getting around your name, which is very important to you, which allows you to show up as a Latina. Um, how, how did that um, you know, impact you? Just talk a little bit about that. I know that's an important part of your identity. Yeah, my grandfather is Rosalia Ronquillo. That name's going to mean something to some people. And then my grandmother is Viajinia Bermudas. And they they got together as teenagers in Mexico. And they had their first child at 14 and their second child at 16. And they came to the U.S., And after they had lived here for a while, they went after their citizenship. And my grandfather realized that his strong ties to his community and to his family, he could start businesses from scratch because he had this business acumen. I don't know where it came from um, because my great grandparents they would sell things, they would make things. They were mostly bakers and cooks and restaurateurs. So he came to the US and right about the same time that Don Julio, Don Julio Tequila, you know this name, mm-hmm. right? If you ever wanna see a really great branded video, look at their new Rosado Posado uh, video. It will, it will get your feet moving. Back to my grandfather, Rosalia Ronquillo, He started a restaurant in Tucson, Arizona, about the same year that Don Julio was starting to make tequila in his garage. And Don Julio figured out some ways of supply chain that to this day are still in place. You know, we talk a lot about Henry Ford and all these. There are some Latinos who have done some incredible things for business that you don't hear about. And Don Julio was one of them. What my grandfather did about that same time was he opened this Mexican restaurant that had a lot of Chihuahuan and uh, Mexican. So Chihuahua is a state in Mexico. And my family's from Paral, Hildago. And that little community 
the food was everything to the community. And what they did is they used a lot of fresh vegetables, not a lot of cheese, like you think Mexican food does, a lot of fresh vegetables. And so he, he put all these recipes into this restaurant in Tucson called Carichimaca. Carichimaca is an Indian term for pool of clear water. So you say, well, wait a minute, why wouldn't he choose a Mexican term? Because when he came to the United States, he could see that there were other underrepresented minorities that weren't given an opportunity to succeed either. So he set out to help the Papago people of that area in Tucson. And when he died, there was a lot of Papago people that came forward and said, you know, we ate at your grandfather's restaurant many times and there was no charge. In fact, we couldn't afford to, but he made sure that we always had a Christmas, we always had food, we always had something. He did the same for his brothers and sisters too. And he helped them in so many different ways. Now, when you see that sort of mentality, sort of that selfless, I gotta help the community and my most important community are these people sitting around the dinner table with me. You start to think about that in business terms too. Because it's not just the Latinos that you want to help, you want to help others. And he also started an organization to help women. So he was way ahead of his time. So the name means a lot to me, not only because it's a family name, but because of what it did for a lot of people on a much smaller scale than what I can do today. And I want to just carry that forward. It's important. Well, Martha, I think that your ability to tell stories is shining through with that exceptional story of your family and the history and um, also quite a bit about the authentic self that you are telling us about. As we close out on this Inspiring Women conversation, I'd love for you to just share any advice that you would like to impart on, I would say, younger women who are looking to rise up into leadership um, that was impactful to you along the way? I think th the number one thing I would say is find people who will support you and surround yourself with them. Not people who would tell you what you, what you want to hear, but people would tell you what you need to hear. And that takes courage. I am a member of a very small group of women. There's four of us. It's kind of an unusual thing. One day I was taking a walk up by your house, Lori, up the hill, and a friend of mine called me, who's also an executive vice president at a company, and she's African-American, and she said, who do you call when you have issues that you, you don't know how to handle, and who is your support network? And I said, well, most of my career, it's been African-American people because they are not only willing to help, listen and support and help you know what's really important. And she said, well, I wanna form a little club with four of us. And she told me the other names that she wanted to join the club. And we're all executive women and we're all about the same age. And we get together 
couple of times a month and we just talk business. We talk life. We talk issues. And it's called the Ruby Sisters. You can see there's a Ruby slipper here. So Excellent. this Ruby slipper is something the four of us wear. And it started because the woman who started this small group of us, she said, okay, I want Marta because she has courage. I want Marta in this group because she's the one who's going to tell us, you know, the difference between things and how we need to think about things. And then I want this other woman because she's also really strategic and she's going to add this value and this other woman for this reason. And I said, God, this sounds like the Wizard of Oz. You know, we are the Ruby Slippers. We're home with each other. That's what it is. We're at home with each other. So for younger people, I would say, find your home. Find those people who are your rubies, who are going to help you not only succeed, but in ways they're going to tell you what you need to hear. And that makes all the difference. Well, not only is that great advice, that's an incredible additional story. And this has been just a fantastic conversation. I want to thank you so much. I've been speaking with Marta Ronquillo, Newhart. This is Lori McGraw. Marta, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.